Accent of Women acknowledges this program is produced and presented on the sovereign lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge elders past and present and becoming, as well as the owners of the land you're hearing us from. Welcome to Accent of Women, a show by and about women from culturally and linguistically diverse communities. I'm your host, Ayan Shirwa. Across the Pacific Islands and Torres Strait, sea levels are rising, forcing many communities to seek a new home in neighbouring islands. And while climate change denialists speaker over the validity of the claims, people are being evacuated because their islands are uninhabitable. This week on Accent of Woman, we chat to radio broadcaster Maureen Mopier about her outstanding documentary, No Land, No Livelihood, No Home. The documentary is a 10-part series about what happens when communities from the Pacific Islands and Torres Strait are displaced by climate change. To listen to No Land, No Livelihood, No Home, go to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia website. Maureen, you're a broadcaster at 4EB, a community radio station in Brisbane, but you've been doing radio for years now. Um, if we could sort of backtrack and just start from the beginning, what made you want to pursue this medium? Um, I started in radio uh, because my in 1973 they were talking of self-government coming to Papua New Guinea and uh, Papua New Guinea was under the Australian uh, government or colony at that time and um, my father was interested in politics so he would tune into what we call 9PA radio which is uh, ABC radio and I always thought that this thing voice coming out from the box was magical so I wanted to be the voice in the box mm. <laughs> so that's how I pursued uh, radio but I also went into television and uh, in um I come from Mekeo, which is in the central province next to Port Mosby in Papua New Guinea. But I flew to Medang for boarding school for four years to take up communication arts degree course. And they were anticipating the arrival of television in the 1980s. So that's why I uh, decided to take television. But before television was introduced, I took up radio and then moved across to television. Mm. Yeah, But then I've been pursuing my medium career uh, ever mm. since, even when I migrated to Australia. I came to Sydney first and then joined to SCRFM, the current affairs, community radio, moved to Gosford and then for six years in Sydney and then moved up to Brisbane and I joined uh, the community radio station at Radio 4 EB. Yeah. And you've covered uh, like a lot of groundbreaking stories, but is there one story um, when you think back that sort of stays on your mind? Well, the, one of the projects I worked on in, back in Papua New Guinea, I don't know where, whether you're referring to Australia or PNG, but in, back in Papua New Guinea, the Boinville uh, Island, just off Papua New Guinea, they just uh, recently held a referendum in November this year to break away from Papua New Guinea or vote for autonomous region of, uh, uh, or be fully autonomous region from Papua New Guinea government. 
and uh, I did a coverage of the. I covered the island's uh, civil war that uh, occurred uh, for almost ten years, and you know, lives of about twenty thousand or more people passed mm. away, sadly. And um, it was the last assignment, and I boarded the last plane out of uh, out of. Uh, the island. So that was one of the challenging and I guess one of the memorable um, re- stories that I've covered. And uh, so they, they had the referendum, and I felt like going back just to tra- backtrack my tracks, mm. just to cover it for the fa- last time, like to cover the referendum. Although I knew that the referendum voting was going to be uh, a high number, and it was 98% result to break away from Papua New Guinea. Mm. It was the result, but uh, <clears throat> it has to be ratified by the Papua New Guinea government now that people have voted. But anyway, that's politics. Yeah. But back to um, Australia. In Australia, I covered uh, men because I produce a women's uh, radio program on our program every Friday, 12 to 1 p.m. So I covered a variety of topics. Mm. So one of the other topics that I did cover was mental health called How Do I Cope? And now I did this uh, documentary on climate change, no land, no livelihood, no home. But some other stories, little stories uh, covering uh, disable, disability and and uh, hepatitis. And because I cover stories that relate to me personally, yeah. like my mom passed away from hepatitis. But I couldn't understand the concept of the whole uh, sickness and everything, so that's why I decided to do it. And even the climate changes, because my brother was affected by heavy flooding three years in a row. And uh, so I decided to uh, find out why it was happening. And then I thought, oh, maybe it's, people are talking about climate change issues. So yeah. I thought maybe that's it. So I called it, uh, based on my brother's uh, location, I called the title of my project, No Land, No Livelihood, No Home. So the picture you saw on the website is my brother's house in Kikimunga. Wow. Yeah, I was just, yeah, I was going to ask about that photo. Okay. So going back to no land, no livelihood, no home, which is an incredible title. Um, you start every episode with the tagline, through my eyes, through the eyes of a woman and through the eyes of a Pacific Islander. What unique perspective do you and other Pacifica women bring um, to the climate change issues that others might not more in? Um, because uh, I'm in Australia and um, what's happening back at home, no one is hearing about it through the Australian media because I don't know if you know that the ABC have cut its uh, resources to broadcast uh, and have reporters on site. So I thought no one is hearing about what's happening back at home, the plight of our women especially. And uh, I thought... When the incident happened to my brother, I thought, oh, because I'm a journalist, I used to be a journalist, so why don't I bring this uh, story, this uh, plight of, uh, well, disaster happening at home front to the Australian public, and maybe the Australian public will understand and be aware of what's happening around the world for that matter. And um, I always say it's go- it's through my eyes, so... Um, how the stories were told to me, and I relay the stories that were told to me by the people I interviewed, and being a woman, uh, because a lot of uh, incidences where climate change uh, meetings are being held or 
like if there's a disaster or whatever, it's only the men that go to the roundtable conference to decide what happens, whereas the women are neglected. Mm. So that's why I thought I'd put it that way through my eyes to the eyes of a woman and to the Pacific Islander. Yeah, and I guess that's what the documentary does. It shows a really good look into the resilience as well as the, I suppose, the matriarchal society in the Pacifica. Yes, um, uh, I'll just give an example of the Cotterad Islanders that I did. They're a matrilineal society. So when their island split into, in half in 2009, they relocated to the mainland Bougainville Island uh, land uh, of Timputs, which was owned by a Catholic church. So they gave it to them to relocate to. And um, she mentioned that I asked whether they had to bring their own, uh, like sort of uh, same customary lineage of women owning land and women owning their titles. So that's why they transferred that title similar to the Bougainville Island, and that's how they uh, were able to allocate blocks in women's names to own the land and build their new homes and gardens and water and new livelihood. And um, and in other parts, like uh, in Fiji, for instance, uh, they created a, a family link with a pattern to talk to uh, women leaders who, because uh, women leaders, they find when the Winston cyclone came through Fiji, they were left behind, but women were the ones who knew how to pack and what to pack, mm. like cassava sticks to plant, Really, when you sort of have to relocate and um, and pack up belongings and that, and a lot of women who are left behind are the ones who are either pregnant or uh, disabled, women disability, and all that. So, if women are on the table, they tend to consider everybody. Yeah. If they if they're having a decision make a decision making level, and if they need to relocate and adapt, women involve everyone, whereas I find men, like from my Pacific Island or from my area alone, is that uh, women are left behind. So that's why I try to extend that table, the Pacific table, to more women in it. Mm. And the doc- Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, de- it, it definitely does. Um, I really appreciated that you were able to show just how resourceful that they are. And one woman that you interviewed was Ursula Rakova, who is a climate change activist. And in the first episode, you did this interesting thing where you ask her to describe herself. So instead of calling her like a climate refugee, you allow her to identify herself how she wanted to be identified. Why was that important to you, Maureen? That way it's not coming from me. I'm not putting the words in her mouth. So that's why she was a bit defensive when I said, why are you relocating? And like, as you say, she said, we're not refugees. We're not running away from a civil war. We are displaced climate change communities. So that really rang into me. And like when ABC uh, interviewed me after I did the No Land, No Livelihood, No Home uh, on TV, uh, in light of the Pacific Islands uh, forum meeting in Tuvalu, um, I mentioned, I gave them that particular quote because it hung, resonated with me. And like as I said, I wanted her to explain it herself, to tell the world, to tell the listeners that this is what we are facing. Another 
another amazing thing that the documentary does is it shows the complex nature of forced migration. So um, as your title alludes to, it's not just the loss of land and livelihood, but there's also the disruption of culture and tradition. Um, to the people that you interviewed, how important is culture and tradition to them, Maureen? My dear, it's very, very important. I don't know if you'll hear the episode four, but that's where I try to bring in the poem uh, to show that arts and culture and song is very, very, uh, very strong amongst the Pacific Islander to show that uh, the culture, if they move, they move with the culture and not leave culture behind because then you, they lose their identity and lose their sense of belonging. And uh, so in that episode four, I uh, interviewed Lisa Jamison, who's the Pacific 350 Pacific Coordinator. She's a Samoan uh, of Samoan heritage. And uh, she, with a group of other young, these are young uh, Pacific Islanders, and they created a poem to humanize climate change. And they're, they're part of 350, and they go around to the different parts of Australia to to highlight the plight of uh, Pacific Islanders facing climate change. Mm. And do you think, because in that episode, it sort of touches on um, the way art can be used to tell stories and also to mobilize. Yes, yeah, so people can listen to it. Like, uh, I don't know how many, um, I guess our leaders would, uh, well, having said this, I should really also say that I do think of our lost lives here in Australia during the bushfires and all that. Um, but uh, it is important, like as you say, if you're asking about the art, the use of art is very important to tell a story because sometimes science is a, I mean, climate change is a complex science, so if you just tell them that, oh, it's measuring to so many knots, the wind is coming at high levels and, and uh, high knots, and you have to reduce the global warming mm. to such and such a degree, it's difficult for people to listen to. Mm. So by portraying it from a different angle, saying, okay, this is the culture, this is what's happening, the sea went up, broke the land into, it contaminated the water, it destroyed the garden, so it's affecting the people's uh, cemetery especially. And like, so that's why they said that it's taboo to um, destroy the land. And um, so we need to portray and uh, tell people through song and dance so that way it... Uh, it it will empower people as well to listen to the stories and and uh, culture is very it's like an arm of a person or a mm. leg of a person Oof. if you cut that arm off or whatever yeah. that really affects the whole being of the person and the society and the village that they belong to so yes culture is very important and like as as Rakova has said they're already facing problems like homebrew and marijuana on the mainland. Uh, <clears throat> taking the children, young people away. So she's faced with a lot of challenge to try and uh, come up with cultural maybe activities to try and keep the people away and so they don't lose their culture when they move across to or move away from to build their homes in a different location. And finally, Maureen, what would you like listeners to take away from this documentary? I would say uh, uh, to this documentary... Listen to the the plight of the indigenous people that are speaking, because I try to bring the 
voices of indigenous women, uh, indigenous uh, leaders in their own right, women leaders in their own right, and uh, listen to how they, some of them didn't really uh, portray the the growing of mangroves, especially in uh, sea, sea, the coastal area of villages, but mainly to provide funding for Pacific Islanders uh, and listen to the indigenous communities in different countries of the world, basically, mm. to how they are resilient, how they would use, what methods they'd use to adapt to climate change and try and fund them because there are a lot of vulnerable communities around the world. So it it covers Pacific Island Pacific Islands because that's where I come from and that's what I'm familiar with and those are the research I did so I based it in that and due to funding and everything um, I couldn't go and cover the whole other world or other uh, other world and all that sort of thing but yeah. basically you can um, you say increase the leadership uh, role or not only leadership role but all aspects of climate change process involve women in the meetings and all that. So that's basically it. But uh, that, uh, like some of the leaders have said, if you save Tuvalu, which is in the Pacific Island, you save the world. Kiribati, you save the world. And um, so hopefully you can do your own little bits, like my daughter, because I did this climate change project, said, okay, I'm trying, I'm going to change and go to cloth nappies instead of using plastic nappies. Wow. And um, that's just a little touching for my, just within my own family type of thing. So if someone can do that, I'm pretty sure others can do that too. Yeah. I mean, when I went into, um, so when I reached out to you, I hadn't known anything about what was happening with sea level rises in um, the Pacifica. So as I was listening to your documentary, it made me more curious to learn more. And I've been doing my own research. So Yes. And even like some of the countries like Palau is already uh, banning uh, a type of, uh, I've gone blank, you know, the lotion that you put, sunscreen <laughs> actually, a type of sunscreen, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, there's a place in Palau which is in the Pacific region that have gone into banning a type of sunscreen lotion to use in case it affects the reefs because already high sea level rising and coastal erosion and all that sort of stuff affecting their fishing line and all that fish fishes and the shows and all that yeah beautiful and where can people catch this documentary Maureen um because Fori B has not uh, come up with its uh, site as yet but uh, CRN and CBWA or C if you if you just go Google search no land no livelihood no home it should take you straight to that uh, CRN page or CBWA page. And although it says, uh, listen to this 30-second promo, that's the episode 1 to 10 that's listed in that little segment. So I spoke to Andrew McClellan, who's with CRN. He said they were going to adjust it, but it's still there. So maybe I'll have to ring him again. But basically go to No Land, No Livelihood, No Home and see the picture of the house that's uh, with stills with water mm-hmm. flooded under that. And uh, press that little icon uh, of uh, the 30-second promo and you can listen to it. And I guess I'll have to put it up on my website too, shouldn't I? Because now with everything, it's like a topical issue as well. Thank you so, so, so much for appearing on Accent of Woman, Maureen. 
That's all right. It's my pleasure. And uh, I just wish to say that it's very important to consider those that have lost their lives, lost their homes, and lost their livelihood. And not only just human beings, but animals as well uh, that have lost in the bushfires. And um, the other thing which I forgot to mention, maybe you can edit it in, is no land, no livelihood, no home. Uh, so uh, another Papua New Guinean young woman to compose the song. I gave her the words, Terima Navara, and uh, she composed the song, uh, The Stop and Listen, and in there she says, the land is zero, uh, the seas are getting higher, the land is crumbling, let, let us stop and listen to our mother earth, and maybe I should like to uh, end off with Stella Mira Robinson. Uh, comments if you have heard her, she says the land, the features, the land, the closest, the land uh, provides for us, so let's look after it, let's stop and listen and look after it. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Remember, you can listen to all 10 episodes of No Land, No Livelihood, No Home on the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia website. As usual, we'd like to thank the Community Radio Network and also give a special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. The gorgeous song you've been hearing throughout this episode is My Island Home by Christina Arnu. We finish today's program with a snippet from the documentary. This short clip is from episode one called Displaced Cataract Islanders. In this episode, Maureen speaks to Ursula Rakova the Executive Director of the Relocation Program to Leila Pesa. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Ayan Shirwa. What are the disadvantages and the advantages of relocating these 10 families? I, I think the most hindrance or the challenges we have faced are uh, regarding uh, movement of the families has been the slow, um, slow process in construction of family homes. Um, but the other issues are to deal with uh, social um, cultural issues where um, uh, detachment to the island has also been a big concern for the relocated families. Um, social uh, concerns has been that um, on the island, um, it is a close-knitted family scenario, whereas uh, people, families have to move in and they are faced with issues that are also being faced on mainland Bougainville uh, regarding homebrew and marijuana, consumption of marijuana by our young people. So you really have a big challenge to try and educate uh, the young people to, to uh, raise awareness about the dangers of these uh, issues? Yes, it, it, it is a big challenge having to educate people, so especially the young people, so um, they, um, they can become sustainable in the long run. The other um, concern is that because we are island people, we are so used to um, doing less manual work, whereas when we move into... Um, to our new site, it means we physically have to do a lot of work. It means learning new skills in gardening, in agriculture especially. Um, it, it is just stealing the land so we, we can grow our food. We don't need to raise, raise our 
uh, uh, bad garden uh, because, you know, the soil is already rich. But it also means that we have to do a lot of weeding, a lot of cleaning, because if we leave the, the garden for like more than a month without attending to it, um, the bush uh, grows really, really fast, and then it means a lot more heavier work we have to do.